1: Come with me. That the word of God says it, I believe it!
0: And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us. For decades, if you booked a room in a hotel, you could guarantee that you would find a Gideon Bible in the nightstand drawer. But the hospitality analytics company, STR, reported not too long ago that the number of hotels offering religious material like Gideon Bibles went down from 95% of them carrying Bibles in 2006 to just 48% in 2016. Now, one of the reasons for that is the politicking against Bible distribution from atheists like those at the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which has called Bibles an invasive species. I don't know what that means, but this is just evidence that it's more important than ever to get the word of God into the hands of lost people who have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Gideons are still committed to that mission because although they are known for their hotel Bibles, their work to get the scriptures into people's hands has gone way beyond just hotels. During the course of the last 120 plus years, they have distributed, 2.4 billion Bibles in more than 100 languages. Wow. What is the future of their mission and what did they do to become so successful and influential? It's a really fascinating story. We're going to talk about it today with Jeff Pack. He's the former director of communications for the Gideons International and author of the new book, Witness to History, the story of the Gideons International. Jeff, just wonderful to have you with us. How are you? Hey, thanks Janet. Uh, Greetings from Nashville. Well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. The history of the Gideons is just such a great story and I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who have never really known what the history of the Gideons are. They just look at the Gideons Bible and they go, this is awesome and they don't really know how the Gideons came to be. Tell us a little bit about that and these salesmen who actually founded the Gideons in the first place.
2: Sure, Janet. Um, Gideons started back in 1899 in uh, Janesville, Wisconsin. And it was an association of men uh, to maintain their cre- uh, testimonies for Christ. And how it came about is that uh, three men, uh, John Nicholson, Sam Hill, and uh, William Knights knew each other kind of from traveling on trains. They'd go out on Sunday, they come back on Friday to various cities in the Midwest. And they said it would be great if we had an association of men that we could hold ourselves accountable. Back at the time, salesmen uh, had a a pretty poor reputation of, you know, gambling and profanity, and their idle hours in the hotel rooms, there wasn't much to do. We didn't have the internet back then, but (laughs) the idle hours in the hotel lobbies, you know, were the devil's workshop, and uh, these three men said, well, we need to hold ourselves accountable and be a witness for Christ on these trains and in these hotel lobbies. So that's really how it's started, the Bibles themselves didn't come along until about a decade later. So that's how we got to um, started as a witnessing uh, opportunity, it still is. Mm-hmm. The majority of our business is witnessing, and the, the Bibles come with it. They started in the hotels, and then, uh, as you've said, we've expanded greatly from there.
0: Yeah. Now, talk a little bit. This is interesting because uh, you know this accountability factor of these salesmen wanting to be accountable to one another, and it wasn't until about a decade later that the Bible distribution came into being. Why form an organization in order to keep each other accountable? How did it all work once they had gotten? The organization going?
2: Sure. Once they got going, uh, they started uh, building groups in different cities. So you could uh, know if you were going to Cincinnati. Um, You know, you could go to actually, in some cases, you could actually go to the church and there would be a, uh, you know, where you'd meet as a Gideon in the pews, uh, which was fascinating. Uh, They went. From there, and they just kept these um, groups, which we'll call camps, and throughout the city. Now that's expanded to 12,000 of those groups uh, across the uh, uh, you know world right now, mm. with uh, a quarter million members in over 200 countries. So the idea of uh, keeping the integrity is really what. Uh, you know, we've held tightly, to is keeping the integrity of ourselves and of the organization itself. And we still meet today. I'll all meet this Saturday uh, with mm-hmm. a group of men from Nashville, and we'll get together, we'll pray at that meeting, and uh, we'll talk about where, you know, we're able to pass out
0: scriptures that week. So neat. So when the Bible distribution became part of the Gideon's mission— How did that kick off? What was the way that that was put into practice, put into place? I mean, what all did that involve to get that mission going?
2: Uh, With the Bibles themselves, the mission started in 1908. They said, we're in these hotels weekly, so why not put uh, Bibles into each of the rooms? That started, and they had a goal to put a Bible in every hotel in the United States. Mm -hmm. They succeeded pretty much yeah. uh, in, in doing that. And then in the 1920s, they kind of expanded into hospitals. Uh, they expanded into prisons. Uh, 1940s, uh, they went into the military and uh, as well as schools. You know, with the baby boom, they've uh, picked up and went to schools. Uh, from there, we just continue to give this out across the world. Uh, you can go into hotels, uh, you know, in, you know, pretty much anywhere in the world today and and find the Bibles. And even though, you know, the the they said they went down and offering the Bibles. Most hotels were still offered as a, quote-unquote, service uh, that they offer the, the Bibles uh, in the hotel rooms still today. Well,
0: that's amazing. So getting the Bibles into the hotel rooms was was a mission that it kind of began that way, and then it expanded, as you said, to other venues. And I'm wondering when you were putting—not you, but I mean back in 1908, when they were beginning to put Bibles into the hotels, certainly this was a big project, just logistically, but also financially. Was it a difficult thing to be able to get the support needed in order to put those Bibles in the hotels?
2: No, it was kind of fascinating how that happened. The members themselves started a Bible fund to get, you know, the Bibles in the various cities. And as the group expanded, you know, you'd get more camps in the different cities across America. But then the pastors were meeting uh, in uh, Cedar Rapids, and they said, well, we need to help the Gideons do this. And that's how our church presentation started, where we'll go into a church, uh, tell about what uh, the Gideons have done over the last year, and take a collection for the Bible. So it was really the pastor's idea of saying, hey, let's come alongside these men uh, and support them in the mission. And we do the same. We come alongside the pastors. Uh, as we always say, you know, we partner with churches anywhere to reach the lost everywhere.
0: Mm. So to what extent do you rely on churches today in order to get the Funding and to get the support to continue your work.
2: Yeah, we still do. We, we, uh, our um, revenues come in from the members themselves uh, and endowments, and uh, the second is the churches. And then we also have a line of uh, Gideon cards uh, that are memory in memory cards and and, uh, like greeting cards that uh, uh, they can uh, anyone can uh, choose online.
0: That's so neat. Now, going back to your founders, how did they react as the Gideons grew? What, what, what kind of response did they have to the growth and the Bible distribution and how important their initial work became?
2: Uh, they were amazed. Uh, they've talked with the association all over the years and we honor them still today um but they were just simply amazed that uh, god would do this work and they attribute um a lot of it to again the integrity of the organization right. a lot of it to prayer i mean every, as i said every saturday morning i'm down on my knees um and that's kind of um you know how you know it built up and you know they were just amazed that it would uh, you know grow to this uh, size at, at the time uh, when they passed, but today, as I said, you know it was a quarter million members, and we're distributing seventy million scriptures a year in mm. about hundred different languages. That's
0: amazing. most of the Bibles, though today go to schools, right? not hotels, yeah,
2: correct um the we're well known for uh, the Bibles in the hotels um and about 70 percent actually go to students across uh, the world. Uh, that includes both, um, you know, the fifth grade and up and uh, college students as well. So that's really been a place where, um, you know, we're able to get to all across the world. And it's uh, been fun watching that happen.
0: Well, wow. how many countries roughly are you in?
2: But uh, over 200, over 200, over 200 countries. Oh, <laughs> we only have a handful left. Uh, Uh, And those are some of the countries You could probably predict what they are
0: Oh sure, that is just extraordinary Never could have happened without the Lord That's for sure And I want to get back to the question Of the effect of the distribution Of all these Bibles across the world Jeff Pack with us His book, Witness to History The story of the Gideons International We'll come right back on Janet Meffer Today Hi, this is Janet Mefford, and in January, we are honoring the pre-born and the more than 60 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion. The ministry of Preborn is the direct competition to Planned Parenthood and the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. By equipping pregnancy centers with free ultrasounds, pre-born is able to meet abortion-minded women at their darkest hour and shine the light of Jesus. You see, when a young mom considering abortion walks into a pre-born center, it's a divine appointment where she encounters the love of Christ and the opportunity to meet the beautiful life growing inside of her. I feel like it was meant for me to have this This is something God gave me for a reason. 80% of women in crisis choose life after meeting their baby on ultrasound. Would you please join with Preborn and Janet Meffer today to help save 350 babies? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. 855 402 2229, or there's a banner to click at janetmeffer.com. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. The Ministry of Preborn is seeking heroes right now who will partner with them to give the gift of life to babies in crisis. Preborn believes it is God's heart to save the preborn from the abortion genocide. Would you please join with Preborn and all of us here at Janet Meffer today to help choose life for 350 babies, all given or tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes toward the cause of life. One ultrasound session costs $28 and for a gift of $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, but any gift of any amount will help. $100, $200, or even a gift of $15,000 will buy an ultrasound machine. Call 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Well, God has been pleased throughout the years to really bless the efforts of the Gideons International, a wonderful organization. And I'm sure if you've stayed in a hotel or maybe you've just received a Gideon Bible at school, who knows where you've been, but everybody knows that phrase, Gideon Bible. And we are talking with Jeff Pack, author of Witness to History, the Story of the Gideons International. And uh, we are just learning so much about what the Gideons have, have done over the years and are still doing. One of the things that I mentioned at the outset, Jeff, is something I wanted to discuss with you a little a bit, and that is the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which is a thorn in the side of many a Christian organization, has been a bit of a thorn in the side of the Gideons as well, and they have made inroads in trying to convince, uh, you know, hotels, oh, this is terrible, you shouldn't carry Bibles. I mean, to what extent have these atheist groups, like this one in particular, affected the work of the Gideons in the last, who knows, decade or so?
2: Sure. Uh, those type of groups come and go. Uh, they've been around and they try their best to do their best. Uh, Luckily, we have a lot of supporters uh, like Alliance Defending Freedom and other groups who we can rely on to help there. Uh, The opposition may come more so just from uh, school boards and uh, parents themselves sometimes, Hmm. Um, you know, without the backing of those type of groups. Uh, So that's something that we work with. Again, um, we always do... uh, Follow the law is the big thing, the legal or the school board's requests of where we take our uh, scriptures, and we do that through the standpoint of compassion and not anger. And that's, I think, the difference of why we just keep going is that uh, we can address it. Uh, We know that there'll be some, you know, persecution, and as Martin Luther said, you know, you'll be strengthened by uh, persecution. Yes,
0: absolutely. So, what is the situation in the hotels these days? I was reading some background, and for instance. Marriott for example which usually carries a Bible and a book of Mormon so you can refute one with the other. Uh, you you see them with some of these new hotels that they're building the more the flashy new versions of Marriott hotels not so much carrying Gideon Bibles. Is that due to kind of the millennial, you know, increasing numbers of nuns, n o n e s, saying you know they're not Christians, so they don't have a church background, this will just offend them. I mean, what what is the rationale when you come up against hotels that won't carry Gideon Bibles?
2: Ah, uh, pray for them. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, good, good. I think
2: um, that happens, uh, and again, that ebbs and flows. You have uh, some of the hip hotels. Uh, At first, not carrying them, then they come back around to carry them after requests. Uh, The big chains, uh, a lot of times, will leave it up to the individual managers. So, therefore, in the south will do great. Uh, So, that's kind of, it it just differs. There's no, like, you know, one mode. We work very closely with Marriott and try to work with all the uh, chains. But uh, it's usually the franchise holder uh, that can make that particular decision. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, now, when you go to schools, for example, as you said before, you you have to sometimes get help from legal firms in order to make sure that everything is on the up and up as far as, you know, being legal. What are the restrictions in being able to get Bibles to kids, for example, in public schools? Is it a matter of timing and placement of where the Gideons are doing the distribution? Or what are the legal ramifications there? Or what are the limits, I should say, around Bible distribution and how you have to do it in order to to get those Bibles to the kids?
2: Sure. Again, it's going to differ by what location. We go to Africa, we can, you know, put 22 million scriptures in schools with these. Yeah. Um, we go to different spots, uh, we really depend. If you start at, uh, you know, colleges, a lot of times now, um, that's more in our favor because they have, you know, uh, freedom areas yeah. where we can just give out, you know, freedom of speech areas where it's much easier to give out. With schools, we're going to go to the school board and check where, and we have good relationships with most of the schools with most of the school boards to to find out how we're supposed to do it in that particular area. Uh, for instance, maybe in the school down the street, I can stand on the sidewalk uh, and pass out scriptures, but we let you know the uh, principal know that that's what we'll be doing that day, and that's one way of handling it. Some schools will still let us in, like I said, in you know different parts of the world, we can still just walk into the schools. <laughs> So it will depend on that. And some schools um, are built further back from the um, sidewalks and the streets. So that presents the hardest problem if we can't get into those. Mm -hmm. One of the ways uh, we've overcome that is, uh, you know, as Isaiah 5511 always says, you know, word is not going to go void is we've come up with a Book of Mark, Um, just literally the Book of Mark in a, a form factor for students that they can give out. So we'll work with the churches. Again, we always work for the churches first, then we work with their youth pastors to take these life books into those type of schools where the kids can hand them out by themselves, and that's worked very, very well.
0: That is great. Do you have a lot of problems in the U.S.? Um, You mentioned college campuses where you can go to those free speech zones, but you mentioned Africa where it's very, very easy to get Bibles into schools. Where does the U.S. tend to rank right now in ease of distribution compared to other countries?
2: Um, we're still open. Uh, it's not as easy as, um, you know, uh, maybe Africa uh, in other countries. And again, it just differs by the by the country. The U.S., um, it, it hasn't gotten worse over, over the last few years or several years, but uh, there was a time like in the 70s and 80s when, you know, uh, freedom from religion and other groups were much more uh, vocal. But Today, it's kind of, you know, we've got our mode, we've got our groove, and we're distributing on the sidewalks, we're distributing, you know, inside of the schools where we can and then the life book handles the rest. So it hasn't
0: changed much, but that's a good question. Yeah. Well, what about the issue of Bible reading? This also kind of comes into play because you see some of these polls that have been released in the last several years showing even Christians, even churchgoers are not such good Bible readers. Uh, They used to be better Bible readers, I should say, than they tend to be today. I guess it depends on the generation, but just the whole problem of reading is becoming more and more of an issue in general, much less Bible reading. How do Encourage people to read the Bible these days? It seems like such an, a dumb question, but when we look at these statistics and we see the Bible illiteracy, it seems your project is more important than ever.
2: Right. I think the average Christian ha- household has 4.4 4 Bibles.
0: Wow.
2: The, um, uh, and more people see more verses of Scripture on Facebook than they do in their own Bible. Ooh. So I think it's um, one thing we do encourage, uh, you know, with a members, I kind of put it as, you know, people will never feel welcome in our churches until they feel welcome in our lives. And by establishing a relationship where, you know, again, there's some accountability. When we uh, witness to people, we're not trying to put them into my church, or, you know, we're just trying to get them connected to a church, and hopefully a Bible-reading church. And then, you know, just try to build that relationship where we can continue to, you know, help them uh, with Bible reading, uh, get them into a Bible group or men's uh, or women's group. But I think that, you know, it's kind of predicted, Paul predicted this in, uh, what is it, uh, Second Timothy, where it says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears yes. uh, to accumulate teachers uh, to suit their own passions.
0: Yes, yeah, we're really in those days, but that points out why so many people need a Bible. You know, when you are looking across the spectrum, surely there are many, many, many testimonies that you've heard about how people's lives have been changed by having access to a Gideon Bible. Do you have any in particular that come to mind when you were doing this book and writing about the history of the Gideons? What sorts of stories have come forward about how people really have been transformed by the Lord because they had a Gideon Bible?
2: Sure. I'll take one from maybe the 60s and one more current. My actual favorite one is uh, a musician named Tommy, and he had songs on the radios back in the 1960s, and to cope with the pressure of coming up with the next big hit, you know, Tommy hit the booze and the pills and wrecked hotel rooms and uh, he had no fear of chemicals and it cost him a lot. But then one night he was in a hot inn and he picked up a Gideon Bible and at the time Tommy was really into UFOs. So he opened up of course, to Ezekiel, uh, which uh, he's reading about uh, wheels in the sky and chariots and blue crystals, and Tommy thinks that's God's talking to him. But it was time to go to the next city, so he just closed that up and left. Next city, he goes in a hotel room and he finds another Gideon Bible. At this time, he thinks they're following him. So he picks up that Bible and God really spoke to him that, you know, he's ready to give up this, you know, life of drugs and everything. And so he accepted Christ in the hotel room with a Gideon Bible. And that man was Tommy James and the Shondells. And he wrote a song about his conversion. And you may remember it called Crystal Blue Persuasion.
0: Yeah, that's wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. So so that's one story. You mentioned a current story as well.
2: Sure. Uh, yeah, there, I'd probably tell you about Craig, who was a college student in Oklahoma, and he joined a fraternity there and immediately got pulled into the party seat. Uh, he was put his whole fraternity at risk of being kicked off the campus, and so Craig came up with the idea of he's going to help change the image, and he decided to hold a Bible study in his fraternity house. The day before the Bible study, he realized he didn't have a Bible. And lo and behold, he was walking across campus, and there is a Gideon passing out New Testaments. Craig takes the Bible, he starts the Bible study in his uh, fraternity basement, and that grows and grows and grows to where he's got a church, and he's got several churches. And Craig is Craig Rochelle, who's the pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma, one of the fastest-growing churches with 30,000 members. So just one book. Makes the
0: difference. Going all the way back to one Bible. See, this is the thing, and I would imagine it's also really thrilling. To know that someday you'll know all the stories. When we're all in glory, you'll know more stories that you don't currently know about the effect that God had when He was able to use one of the Bibles you had distributed to bring somebody to know Jesus Christ and to become a stronger Christian. It, you know, just so many good stories, and none of it would have been possible without the really the vision of the first three founders of the Gideons International. You can read about it in the book we've been discussing with Jeff Pack. The name of the book is Witness to History, the story of the Gideons International, and may God continue to bless the Gideons and going forward and distributing the Word of God around the world. Jeff, it was so great to have you here. Thank you very, very much for being with us. Okay, and if they need more information, they can get it at witness to historyorg Excellent. Thanks a lot, Jeff Pack, and we'll be back on Janet for today. This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. I hope you had a very, very Merry Christmas with your family. Uh Uh-oh, is Dr. Fauci going to get me? Uh Uh-oh. See, here's what I find interesting about Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci is constantly moving the goalposts on what you need to be doing to lock yourself down or vaccinate yourself or wear masks. He just changes it just based on, you know, now I'm saying this and who cares what I said a month ago? I'm saying this now and it's completely reasonable. But he never really seems to call out all the leftist politicians who enact all of these draconian measures on us and violate it themselves. You yeah, know, it doesn't matter if Dr. Birx travels on Thanksgiving after telling everybody don't travel on Thanksgiving. It really doesn't matter if Newsom says restaurants have to close down or go to a certain small capacity as he's dining out with his buddies. It's see, these things are never mentioned because they protect one another. How serious is it really if all of these tyrants are violating what they are shoving down your throat every single day of the week? That's what I want to know, because the leftists won't talk about it because they know that it is really a bad look for them. Dr. Fauci, though, is around, as always. I don't know why. You know, I keep going back to the same point. I made this point last week. We didn't elect this guy. Does that bother anybody? People who still believe that we, the people, are to run this nation and we elect representatives in our government in order to represent us. This is the whole system of American government. We didn't elect bureaucrats. You can appoint who you want in the federal government if you're an elected official of Trump's variety. Fine. But don't voice this guy in his so-called science on the rest of us. This guy has no idea what he's doing. And here's the other thing. there, There is some more information that is coming out that should really trouble you about all of the draconian stuff that's going on. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But here's Dr. Anthony Fauci, the COVID guru, yesterday speaking with Dana Bash over on CNN State of the Union and discussing the whole issue of President-elect Joe Biden, so-called, Uh, I'm just going to still say so-called. We'll see what happens. Uh, Joe Biden says the darkest days are ahead of us. You know, nothing like getting all the people of the United States excited about your presidency and looking forward to a bright new future. Yeah, the darkest days are still to come. Dana Bash asked Dr. Fauci about this. Listen to cut one. I want to ask about something that President-elect Biden said this week. He
1: said, The darkest days in the battle against COVID are ahead of us. Dr. Fauci, as you know, over 100,000 of our fellow Americans spent their holiday hospitalized with COVID-19,
0: and we're averaging nearly 200,000 new cases, more than 2,000 deaths each day. Do you agree that the worst is still yet to come?
1: You know, I, I do, Dan. And the reason I, I'm concerned and my colleagues in public health are concerned also is that we very well might see a post seasonal in the sense of Christmas, uh, New Year's surge. And as I've described it as a surge upon a surge, because if you look at the slope, the incline of cases that we've experienced as we've gone into the late fall and soon to be early winter, it is really quite troubling. You mentioned the numbers yourself quite correctly when you're dealing with a baseline of 200,000 cases, new cases a day, and about 2,000 deaths per day, with the hospitalizations over 120,000, we're really at a very critical point. If you put more pressure on the system by what might be a post-seasonal surge because of the traveling and the likely congregating of people for you know the good warm purposes of being together, for the holidays, it's very tough for people well, to not do that. And yet, even though we ad, we advise not to, it's going to happen. So I share the concern of President-elect Biden that as we get into the next few weeks, it might actually get worse. Terrific. That's wonderful.
0: When do we get our lives back? When do people who are losing their businesses get to work again? And all of this discussion about the bill in Congress and giving COVID relief to people who are facing the end of unemployment and President Trump wants $2,000 and Congress only gave people $600 and they are awful things in that bill originally about gender studies in Pakistan. They're giving away millions and millions and millions of dollars to other countries around the world at a time when Americans are truly suffering. And my take on the whole thing is how about you just let people decide for themselves what kind of risk they want to take. When did we lose our autonomy and our ability to say either I don't feel safe because I have a compromised immune system. So I'm going to stay home. Or on the other hand, somebody saying, I have a business to run. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm pretty low risk for catching coronavirus. And if I catch it, I'm really low risk for actually dying or even being hospitalized. I'm going to take my chances because I need to make a living. Why can't people make those decisions for themselves? Why are we ceding all of this control to guys like this who are very much guilty of saying at the outset, well, we got to have this lockdown because it could be millions of people, millions of people, millions of people. Every time his predictions don't pan out, they still keep trotting him out as some kind of an expert. Even though... And and then they do all this cover up for him. Oh, well, I know he said we shouldn't wear masks back in March, but blah, blah, blah. Here's why he said it then. I know that he said originally that you should get herd immunity to about 70%. Now he's saying 85%. And then they ask him about, oh, well, you know, it's just a range. It's 15% of the population increase, but I guess we're not supposed to notice that. It's just a range. But they keep trotting him out. Why do they keep trotting him out? I don't know. They like him. Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, uh, actually accused Dr. Fauci of lying about masks and distorting herd immunity estimates. And people were giving him a hard time about that. But frankly, I wish a whole lot more people would do that, especially people who serve in the Senate and in the Congress. Why shouldn't we be pointing out that these experts need to be tossed off TV and probably out of their jobs and tired of this guy? Here's the World Health Organization. Did you hear about this? They've changed the definition on their website of herd immunity. Yeah, they really did. Here's the definition from June 9th. Herd immunity, the question, what is herd immunity? Herd immunity is the indirect protection from an infectious disease that happens when a population is immune either through vaccination or immunity developed through previous infection. Hmm. This means that even people who haven't been infected or in whom an infection hasn't triggered an immune response, they are protected because people around them who are immune can act as buffers between them and an infected person. The threshold for establishing herd immunity for COVID-19 is not yet clear. Let's go forward to November 13th. What is herd immunity? Oh, we have a new definition. Herd immunity, also known as population immunity, is a concept used for vaccination In which a population can be protected from a certain virus, if a threshold of vaccination is reached, herd immunity is achieved by protecting people from a virus, not by exposing them to it. Well, that's interesting because back in June, you talked about people being protected by people who are immune and they can act as buffers between them and an infected person. No, 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 no. Sorry, you all have to be vaccinated. That's the new plan. I guess Klaus Schwab over at the World Economic Forum wants to up the Great Reset timetable. So I guess everybody better get the vaccine or else. Yeah, I don't think everybody's going to get the vaccine. And what's interesting is even some of these epidemiologists, Dr. Andy Boston, we've had on the show many, many times, has even said this. The people who really need to get this vaccine are the people who are at the highest risk. You need to get people who are older and you need to get people with compromised immunity or terrible health conditions that could put them at a higher risk of infection and possible death. Get those people vaccinated first. And if you can get those people immune, then you just kind of let it go and it's going to get better. You know, we didn't have these kinds of crazy lockdowns and so forth during the 1918 pandemic. And life went on. What happened? Eventually it went away. And we do have a seasonal flu. But we didn't do this to our country 100 years ago. I guess nobody wants to talk about that. What's very interesting, though, is to look at some of these new studies that are coming out, and some of these admissions. Now, one of the things I've talked about before is this Professor Neil Ferguson. He was the guy from the Imperial College, and he did this computer model on COVID-19, all about lockdown, and he was totally discredited because he was completely wrong in all of his estimates. He now has done an interview in the Times of London, and he admitted that if it hadn't been for China's example, no Western country would have ever done lockdowns. Oh, interesting that you would say that now. We'll get to that story right after this break. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Back in a moment. If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's Word. Everyone wants to read the Bible, but what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will. Uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800 E S W O 800-YES-WORD, or there's a banner to click at JanetMafford.com. The healthcare open enrollment period has ended in most states. Did you miss it? Don't go a whole year without having a healthcare program. Sign up for Liberty HealthShare. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up now with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not an Insurance, So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT or 855-585-4237. You're listening to Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's Janet. A little bit of an update on the COVID-19 nonsense. Professor Neil Ferguson, as reported by James Delingpole over at Breitbart, he's the discredited Imperial College computer modeler behind Britain's draconian lockdown policies. He's come clean about his inspiration. None of this would have been possible without the great example of the Chinese Communist Party. Oh, it's so touching. Ferguson admits that China set the standard. This is what the story says. Back in 2019, about the time someone was getting infected by a bat, no European country's pandemic plan seriously entertained the prospect of putting a country on pause. Then, that's what China did. Professor Ferguson says, I think people's sense of what is possible in terms of control changed quite dramatically between January and March. So it's exciting that a totalitarian state would come up with a plan that everybody else is embracing because the commies wanted us to do it? In January, it says members of SAGE, the government's scientific advisory group, had watched as China enacted this innovative intervention in pandemic control that was also a medieval intervention. Ferguson said, they claim to have flattened the curve. I was skeptical at first. I thought it was a massive cover-up by the Chinese. But as the data accrued, it became clear it was an effective policy. Then as infections seeded across the world, springing up like angry boils on the map, SAGE debated whether, nevertheless, it would be effective in Britain. It's a communist one-party state, we said. This is Ferguson's quote. We couldn't get away with it in Europe, we thought. In February, one of those boils raged just below the Alps. And then Italy did it, and we realized we could absolutely crazy. And Dellingpole points out that phrase get away with it is instructive. It implies that at least on a subconscious level, Ferguson is aware that copying Communist China's lockdown policy was not a morally acceptable act, merely one that peculiar circumstances made possible. Oh, also he doesn't apologize for the incident during the first lockdown when he was caught breaking the rules he helped create. Uh, he 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 ran off with his girlfriend at a particular time, he says, I made some mistakes. I've been completely open in terms of saying they were mistakes, but nevertheless, the fact that journalists were digging into my private life at that level of detail was not something I could ever imagine. Oh yeah, boohoo for you. These people, another hypocrite. Okay. You were totally wrong and you're a total hypocrite, but let's talk about how awesome the Chinese communists are. Sure. Oh, here's Another interesting piece of information. There's a study out. This is actually published online by the Journal of the American Medical Association. Four researchers from the University of Florida, Department of Biostatistics, put this thing together. They performed a meta-analysis of 54 studies looking at the household secondary attack rate of COVID-19. And according to the CDC, the secondary attack rate is the number of new cases among contacts divided by the total number of contacts. Here's the upshot. They find no asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic spread of COVID-19. Now, that would seem to be a gigantic story, would it not? Because we're all walking around in these masks, even though we're perfectly healthy, most of us. We're all submitting to the government because COVID is scary. And now we're finding out that Basically, there's no risk of asymptomatic people spreading COVID-19 or pre-symptomatic spreading COVID-19. It's interesting to note the secondary attack rate for symptomatic index cases was 18 percent. The rate of asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic index cases was 0.7 percent. And that was not statistically different from zero, according to this report from the Alachua Chronicle. So there you have it. Here's another piece of information that's interesting. This is from the Jerusalem Post. Did you hear about this development with UV LEDs? Yep. This is interesting. Ultraviolet radiation is a common method of killing bacteria and viruses. And now researchers from Tel Aviv University have proven that the novel coronavirus can be killed efficiently, quickly, and cheaply using ultraviolet light-emitting diodes, um, at specific frequencies, so that's kind of interesting. They're talking about the possibility of being able to do effective sanitiz- sanitizing in hospitals and keyboards and things like that. So that's good. Can we all just carry around like a UV LED flashlight and get rid of the masks? We'll just zap everybody. You know, I can zap. Maybe we could shine it on our on our faces. I have no idea. We'll probably get cancer doing that. But again and again and again, you've got these studies coming out that are are just mitigating against all of this panic that is all around us at all times. Now, here's something that you need to know about. You might've heard of it. There is a church in Windsor, Ontario, up in Canada, Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. And they put out a statement on Christmas Eve because they were basically, not arrested, but the, the Ontario pastor was charged and is facing jail time for holding a worship service on December 20th because he had more than 10 people. It's absolutely crazy to see what's going on. And they're saying, the church is saying that this is the first time they know of that a church pastor was arrested for trying to do his job. Now they had a follow-up service on Christmas Eve, and then they had another service on Sunday. And there is a, Follow-up here on the Windsor Star, it says the Windsor pastor, Aaron Rock, who's been charged with violating Ontario's lockdown restrictions on religious gatherings, says he is being widely misunderstood. He said, I'm not a virus denier. I'm not an anti-masker. I'm not a foolish man. Well, I don't think you were. I'm doing this for the sake of the community. Drive-in services were held for the church's members on Christmas Eve and Sunday morning. Volunteers guided dozens of vehicles to parking spots in the church's lot, and Rock's sermons were streamed online with no attendees exiting their vehicles. But Rock said the drive-in services were only held because Windsor police have forbidden him and his followers from entering the church. This is what the cops are spending the time doing. You can't let the Christians into their church. He was charged under the Reopening Ontario Act for an in-person service he held. Of course, I haven't changed my view. Rock said, I've been thrown over a barrel by the police department. According to Rock, the Harvest Bible Church building in Windsor's West End has a capacity of 1,350 people. The number of attendees for the indoor service that was held on December 20th was a fraction of that capacity, less than 25%. And he said, this is very telling. But we've seen these things said here in the united states he pointed out that their building is almost as big as costco but the government is saying you can't have more than 10 people but you can go to costco and that's perfectly fine you could go wander around costco all you want and apparently you can have all kinds of people in costco and the rona won't touch you there but if you go into a church oh no rona doesn't like the churches yeah okay rona doesn't like the churches There was actually a GoFundMe campaign started by a Christian lecturer who's a friend of Rock's, and they got $35,000 in donations by yesterday. Uh, As this will be going to court, you can imagine the costs involved in retaining legal counsel. This is part of the writing on the GoFundMe page. The stated goal is $50,000. Rock told the star he doesn't care about the money, and the campaign was entirely his friend's initiative. Listen to this. I'm prepared to lose my house, my retirement savings, for what I believe is right. Nobody should have to lose their house or their business or their retirement savings over this virus. And I've had about enough of it. Maybe you have too. I am tired of seeing people complain on social media merely. And it's very important in my mind that people get together and start opening up. Now, I am not saying this lightly because I think that it is important for us to understand Uh, that we do have authority over us instituted by God, but we we are a nation of we, the people. And if businesses got together and they said, we're all gonna open back up, what are they gonna do? Close every business and throw them all in prison? They, They might try, but if you had enough people doing it across the country, I think it could turn the tide. What is very terrifying to me is this mentality that says, we're just gonna do what we're told. Think about how scary that is. It is important to do what the government says to do. When it makes sense, when it is for the good of... The community, But when you're seeing these studies showing that the mask mandate areas actually have worse rates than the non-mask mandate areas, you have to begin asking yourself, why are we complying with something so stupid when we know that these people aren't even being honest? And those people who are invoking these sorts of measures are the very ones who are breaking them themselves. And the people who are telling churches you have to be shut down because it's just too dangerous are the ones allowing Costco and Walmart and abortion clinics and liquor stores to open up and casinos. And then you have the Supreme Court, praise the Lord, coming in and saying, no, you got to let the churches meet. Well, all of a sudden it's safe, huh? Because somebody overruled you. Well, the people need to remember this is our country. These people represent us. And if you don't like the way that your representative, governor, mayor, what have you, is representing you, then do something about it. We have the right to do that as Americans, and we ought to. We are really excited, by the way, about our partnership with Preborn. We want to save as many babies' lives as we can. And 80% of the women who enter with abortion on their mind, they choose life if they get a free ultrasound. And you can help. $28 funds one. $140 funds five ultrasounds. We want to save 350 babies. And we're excited to let you help. 855-402-BABY is the number to call. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at Janetmeffer.com. Thank you so much.